seat him. I invite you to turn with me now in your copy of God's Word to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 14. You can find this passage if you're using the Pew Bible uh, on page 820. We'll be looking at verses uh, 13 to 21. Uh, Many of you know the Southern uh, tradition that when you go to someone's house uh, and they cook food you like, or even if you don't like it, you're still supposed to ask for the recipe, right? But that means you liked the food, right? That's the way we compliment one another here in the South. Well, preachers do the same thing. Uh, sometimes when we hear a good sermon, we call the preacher and say, hey, I need those notes. <laughs> I need your recipe. Uh, about nine months ago, one of my good friends preached on Luke's version of Feeding the 5,000, and his sermon was incredible. <laughs> and I called him not knowing I was going to be preaching on it nine months later, and said, I need your notes. <laughs> nine months later, I have looked at those same notes and been blessed by them. But uh, Most of you don't know this man. His name's Josh Johnson. He pastors, uh, he's an assistant pastor at a church in Birmingham, Alabama. I will not quote him this morning, uh, but so much of what I was blessed by in my study this week uh, was from a, an old sermon. Uh, so uh, take encouragement from his labors through the Lord's labors in me this week uh, in that. So with that in mind, uh, let's turn in Matthew uh, chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you join me again in prayer? Our Lord, we come to you this morning asking that you would feed us. Not that you would feed us sustenance for our bellies, but that you would give us rich food for our souls. That we would see in you, particularly in you, Lord Jesus, that you are the compassionate provider for your people. That as they were those thousand years ago, we would too be satisfied today. We would feast upon you to the great blessing and growth of our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When it comes to food and serving food, the role of a waiter can be pretty mundane. I wonder if any of you have ever been a waiter or waited tables or waitress. Uh, I've done it a couple times uh, in my life. Uh, there's nothing really extraordinary about it, uh, right? You take orders, you bring drinks, you bring food, you clean up everybody's mess, you get a tip that's usually not enough, 
right? You, you, you probably get people that don't like you, that think you're too slow, you got the order wrong, the food's too hot, the food's too cold, whatever it is. It's kind of a, a mundane job. Uh, I once waited tables at a barbecue restaurant, and it was just a lot of good old greasy food, right? A lot of barbecue, a lot of ribs, a lot of pulled pork, a lot of burgers. We had this one item on the menu that was almost never ordered. It was a, a porterhouse steak, right? It was like twice as much as anything else on the menu. I mean, nobody goes to a little greasy barbecue place to order a nice steak. But every once in a while, somebody would order that thick steak, and the, the, the cooks would come out and say, did they really order the steak? They really want that steak? And say, so, yeah, that's what they said. So they, they cook it up, and everybody sort of kind of got all buttoned up, and it was time to serve the steak. And I remember as a waiter thinking, I've just got my greasy barbecue T-shirt on. Like, I need to go change clothes to serve this steak, right? This is such a good meal. I, I am, am so insufficient in my, in my weakness and, you know, my grubby, sweaty self to bring out this rich meal. I almost don't even want to bring it to the table. I feel so unup to the task. What we find in our text today is an incredibly rich and beautiful meal served by some very mundane and insufficient waiters. <laughs> the waiters in this text have no business serving this meal, just as I had no business serving that rich, rare porterhouse steak. What's going on in our account is not that Jesus performs miracles. We've seen this. Sort of what's ordinary in Matthew are miracles, right? I mean, every week, uh, he just healed some sick people over there. He just fed some people over there. Right? He just did this, this, that, or the other miracle. Matthew's, it's almost routine and, and, and mundane. What stands out in our story is not the sufficiency of Jesus and everything he's doing. What stands out is who he uses to do it. What stands out is that insufficient disciples and followers, they're actually the ones through whom Jesus performs this miracle. I want to say it a different way. And this is our sermon in a sentence. It's a little long, uh, but it has our three points in it all together. That is that we're going to see this morning that the all-sufficient Savior sends his insufficient followers to spread an all-sufficient feast. Those are our three points. The all-sufficient Savior, the insufficient followers, that's, that's disciples and you and me, and the all-sufficient feast that they spread because the Savior has sent them out. Let's look at each of those parts in our text. First, the all-sufficient Savior. All-sufficient. He has everything he needs within himself. Okay? If Matthew 14, 13 to 21 were a headline, right? If the, we'll call it the Galilee Gazette, right? Publishes breaking news. What happened yesterday? Man feeds over 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish, right? This is the sort of the, the blinking lights. This is the, the breaking news. This is the headline to, to shock everyone what this man has done miraculously there in Galilee. Now, I wonder if you've ever heard a different sermon on this before, hopefully not here and no, not from this pulpit, that would say the real miracle that takes place here is a miracle of sharing. Have you heard this before? Uh, that at John's gospel tells us uh, that it was actually a, a boy who brought up the five loaves and the two fish. And everybody was so amazed that this little boy would share his dinner that they all just shared their dinner and somehow over 5,000 people were, were fed. 
Now, I know parents do think it's a miracle when their kids will share their dinner, but that's not the miracle, obviously, going on here, right? It's a miracle of multiplication. It is a creation miracle in which the Lord Christ, the creator of the world, creates more food to be spread into thousands of people's mouths, beginning with such an insufficient offering. If you're reading this newspaper article, you get past the headline and you think, not not just how did this happen, but your mind starts to think, who in the world could do this? You start asking the question, who is this man? Who is this one who could feed so many with so little? Matthew gives us some clues as to who this is. The first clue, and it's not even in the the verses itself, it's in the, the context, is that he's a king. Nothing here talked about his royalty, did it? But I want you to remember for a moment where we were last week. Last week we were at a feast with King Herod. Last week's sermon ended, or rather the text ended, verse 12, and his disciples came and took the body, that's the body of John the Baptist, and they buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Verse 13 begins, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew. Heard what? Right? If you're reading just Matthew chronologically, it seems like, well, he, he heard about the death of John the Baptist, and so he went to be alone, probably to grieve, as some commentators say. But you'll remember, last week was a sermon in sort of two different time periods. Right? The, the story of the death of John the Baptist was actually a flashback. You see, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14 tells us that the fame of Jesus is spreading. Herod hears of it. He's so guilty because of what he did previously in the beheading of John the Baptist that he thinks it must be John the Baptist back from the dead. It seems like Matthew is picking up verse 13 at the end of verse 2. We've done a flashback, and now we're back to the present time. Now Jesus is withdrawing. When does he withdraw? He withdraws when his fame spreads. He actually withdraws when more people know about him because it's not his time yet. He goes and withdraws to a desolate place. The, the, the verse Matthew tells us twice, the place is desolate. It's, it's lonely. It's like a desert. But the crowds followed him. What does he do when crowds are around him? We've seen this before. He has compassion on them. Our Lord and Savior saw people sick, hungry, dying and oppressed, and he is moved with pity for them. He is compassionate on sinful people. So he heals them. Verse 14, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. This is the common pattern. Again, this is not what is surprising to us. If we've read Matthew a lot, this doesn't surprise us. Of course Jesus does this. This is just what he does. Wherever he goes, he has compassion and he heals people. But then he, he feeds them. He supplies their need with, we could safe to say, call it a feast. Here's where the kingship of Jesus really stands out. Because now in Matthew's recording, we have two accounts in a row that both speak of somebody feeding other people. Herod had a birthday party with a feast of food and drink and, and dancing. Remember I said last week, if, if it was a movie, it would be rated R because of that scene. It's a pretty wild scene. But then compare that to Jesus. Herod wants everybody's attention. He wants everybody to, to, to 
to like him and he cares about his reputation. His feast is all about himself. But Jesus's feast is feeding others, is giving of himself. He goes to be alone in a desolate place and everybody follows him instead of staying in the way he, he feeds them. One commentator says, comparing these, these two feasts, he says, the feast of Jesus has a simpler menu, but a more wholesome atmosphere. <laughs> right? That would get the ranking on Yelp for family-friendly restaurant, right? You don't want to take your kids to Herod's feast, trust me. <laughs> but it's not just a different kind of feast. It's a different kind of king. What kind of king throws the feast that Herod threw? An insecure king who selfishly only cares about himself. What kind of king throws the feast that Jesus does? A compassionate healer and supplier of Israel. You see, Herod's needy. Jesus needs nothing. He's all sufficient. So he gives and he gives and he gives until there's no more need. Who is this man? He is a king, lower in a sense than King Herod, but beyond him by far in who he is. To keep reading between the lines, Matthew is showing us this all-sufficient Savior isn't just a king. There's something else going on here. Maybe you picked up on a theme from the Old Testament The theme begins with this idea of a desolate place that Matthew mentions twice so that we don't miss it. Literally a lonely place. A phrase that is usually used to describe the desert or in the Old Testament, the wilderness. Hungry people in the wilderness. Somebody feeding them. It's echoes of the Exodus. It's echoes of Moses. Where God's people are led out of Egypt. They are hungry They are tempted to go back to Egypt because the food was so much better, back in the world of sin. And they grumble. You remember this. They grumble to Moses and they ask, can God spread a table in the wilderness? You can ask Jesus that same question here. Can God spread a table here in this desolate place? And so when Jesus brings bread from heaven, he's not just a better king with a better feast. He is now a true and better Moses. He is now the prophet of God bringing bread from heaven to feed a needy and hungry people. And the Jewish people from the time of Exodus, when they were miraculously fed the manna, and then after all that time, the manna, the bread from heaven, it stopped coming down because they now had bread in the normal ways. There was an expectation amongst the Jewish people that when the prophesied Messiah would come, what else would happen? The manna would come back. The bread from heaven would come back. The Jewish hearers and readers would have recognized these echoes of Exodus. See, what's amazing here is not just what happens. The miracle is amazing enough. But what does it tell us about the man performing the miracle? He is the king. He is the Messiah of the people of God. Here is his identity revealed to us. He heals. He creates. He supplies. He is the all-sufficient Savior who needs nothing from us and yet gives us everything. And he is all-sufficient not just in the, the physical needs that we have, because we have a much deeper need, don't we? than just a little meal at dinner so don't go hungry that night. Whatever need we have, he is the all-sufficient Savior to meet that need. 
And the deepest need we have as his children is that we are sinners against a holy God. That we have broken his will. We have broken his law. We have sinned against him and what we have thought and what we have said and what we have done. And we are under his just wrath and condemnation. The deepest need that you have today is not to get some food for lunch. It is that your sin would be covered and forgiven and you would be called innocent by the holy God of the world and no longer guilty. Who is sufficient for that need? The all-sufficient Savior. He is the only one who can feed his people. He's the only one who can clothe us in righteousness. And in him is the only way, the only place we will ever find forgiveness. You may have enough bread or fish in the fridge at home today, but the real question is, are you covered by the blood of the all-sufficient Savior? Come and trust in him today and find that he meets even the deepest needs of your heart. So far what we've seen in this account are needy people and Jesus who meets those needs. But I think the real payoff in this miracle is the third role in this story, and those are the followers, the disciples of Jesus. So if we begin with an all-sufficient Savior, number one, number two, we see his insufficient followers. We know what Jesus does here. What do the disciples do? Well, not, not much great. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> Let me give you a couple headings of what the disciples do. What do the insufficient followers do? Number one, they present a faithless solution. They present a faithless Solution. Now, here's what I like about the disciples, right? They see a problem, it's dinner time and there's no food, and they present a solution. Like, th- these are my kind of people, right? <laughs> hey, pastor, here's the problem, but guess what? I actually have a solution for it. Good, go do that, <laughs> right? They present, they're, they're, they're problem solvers, right? They say, well, Jesus, we don't have any food. Send everybody home to buy food for themselves. It makes sense, right? They go back where they came from. There's still time. They won't go too hungry tonight. Go get their own food. Wonder with me for a moment. There's echoes here of Exodus, but the people aren't starving. Presumably they've had lunch, right? They had some breakfast today. Presumably they could go home and get food. Or they could go home a little bit hungry. The next day, they could get food. It's not like Jesus has on his hands 10 to 15,000 starving people on the brink of mass death unless they get some bread and some fish. They do have some hungry people, though. And I think the disciples identifying the problem, proposing a solution that I call faithless. Now, before you think I'm being too hard on the disciples, this is the best solution they could have come up with. And if I was there with them, I'd cast my vote. Sounds like a good idea. Everybody go home and get some food. The problem is they, they don't know who they're dealing with. They, don't, they still don't know who it is that they're with. I don't, I don't know that I would have either. You know what you do when you bring a problem to God? You don't need to provide the solution yourself. <laughs> right? You should be praying a lot. I hope you do. And I hope your prayers bring God a lot of problems. That's what prayer is, right? We bring our problems to God. But you don't need to end your prayers saying, okay, God, and here's what I'm going to do to fix those things. No. That's not how we pray. That's not how we talk to God. That's not how we talk to Jesus. 
It would have been enough for them to have simply said, here's the problem. What do you want us to do? Or even better, what are you going to do about it? They began by presenting a faithless solution. Secondly, what do the disciples do? They bring meager ingredients. Jesus' answer must have rocked them back on their heels. Verse 16, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Well, Jesus, if we had something to eat, we would have already fed them, right? <laughs> this sounds crazy. Do you see how many people there are? Do you see some catering trucks behind us, right? Like, we don't have food for all these people. This sounds crazy that Jesus would tell them to go and feed all these people. How do you think that left them feeling? Many of you uh, remember or know uh, Lloyd Parker. Lloyd was a, a friend of this church for many, many years. Uh, he passed away last year, and I got to know Lloyd in the last couple of years. Uh, and if you knew anything about him, you knew he was an incredible woodworker. I mean, a phenomenal woodworker. And I went up to see his, his shop once. It is beautiful. It's every tool you could want. It's neat, and it's organized. And, and I like to talk to him and ask him questions. And he knew that I had a, a, a budding interest in woodworking, right? Just a tiny little bit. And I had a couple tools in my basement. And he said to me once, I want to come to your shop and help you build something. And I just thought, no way. No way is the master carpenter coming to my basement and seeing that disaster to try to build something, right? In that moment, I felt incredibly insufficient. I think that's a little bit of how the disciples felt. What, Jesus? Like, you've done everything so far. And now you're, you're, you're telling us to do something? They were overwhelmed and they were underprepared. Five loaves and two fish. I wonder as you have followed Christ and as you have heard and read his commands in scripture, if you have ever felt insufficient. Have you felt like an insufficient servant? We started this morning uh, with a new Sunday school series on the topic of hospitality. Promises to be a wonderful start. Uh, if you are not showing up to Sunday school to hear Jim Curtis teach, you are missing out. The man has a gift. I hope you come to the rest of this series. It is phenomenal. He asked us to leave that class thinking some questions to answer next week. But why is hospitality hard? I think some of the reasons is because my gifts feel too meager, right? My house is too small. My budget's too small. My margins in life are too thin for me to step out and do that. But you know who Jesus doesn't call to serve him? He doesn't call sufficient followers. He only calls insufficient followers. We're in good company, y'all. If we don't have enough, they didn't have enough. If we have meager gifts, they had meager gifts. And Jesus calls, I would even say he invites us to join him in service, despite our meager gifts, or maybe to use our meager ingredients. Because look, look what he does. Look at the third thing the disciples do. They present a faithless solution, not great. They bring meager ingredients. This isn't going to work. Number three, they give out a bottomless meal. Right? You know, you go to the restaurant, you order bottomless chips, right? They just keep coming, right? This is a bottomless meal. Jesus takes their meager gifts, and then what does he do with them? He gives them right back to them. He says, you go give them out. 
You go pass out this food. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking at that point? Like, how many of them were sort of turning away and like side-eyeing each other? Like, did you hear what he just said? (laughs) Did he count those same bread that we have? Does he know there's only two fish, right? And yet they go and they distribute and they get through a couple families. Then they get through 20 people and there's still more bread. I mean, we're talking 10 to 15,000 people spread out. They're all sitting down waiting for the food to come. And here come the disciples dispersed through the crowd. And time goes on and they're still breaking off more bread. They're still giving out more fish. And their doubts and their unbelief and their thoughts of insufficiency about the bread and the fish, that begins to disappear. What do they think of? They think of the miraculous work of their all-sufficient Savior. They decrease. They fade away as he increases. As his work is made evident in their insufficient offerings. I don't know what happened. I don't know how this miracle happened. It's happened before. All right, you go back and look it up this afternoon. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. Uh, there's a, a, a over 100 men fed with just a, a few loaves of bread. God is about doing the miraculous. And then at the very end, as just as they weren't amazed enough, the fourth thing the insufficient disciples do, they collect bountiful leftovers. They, they start with food barely enough to fill up a basket. They end with 12 overflowing baskets. 12, I think one per disciple, right? They've, they've distributed and now they've collected so much more uh, as they return. What do insufficient people do with our meager gifts? We act in faith. We step out in faith. They had no idea what was about to happen when they took that food and started giving it out. (laughs) They had no idea. God has called you, even though you are self-conscious of your meager gifts, to act in faith, to have that conversation that you don't think you know all the right words to or answers for, to volunteer for that ministry, even though you don't think you're very good at it, to send that invitation to come over to your house, even though the house is a mess, you don't know what to wear, you don't know what you're going to (laughs) cook. He has gifted you, dear church, the strongest of you and especially the weakest of you. You think your gifts are meager? They probably are, but not in the hands of the all-sufficient Savior. He takes meager people and meager gifts, and he uses them in miraculous ways to grow his church and spread his kingdom. Because look what happens. Look look what happens when we take these two ingredients, when we take the all-sufficient Jesus and the insufficient you, (laughs) We put those together. Do we get insufficient? No, we get an all-sufficient feast. Our final point, the all-sufficient feast. The food in this account, it's not mere sustenance, right? It's not just a story about how some people with some grumbling tummies got a little bit of food and they went home not as hungry as they would have. Uh, One commentator says, this is not a miracle about a carnal snack. It is a formal occasion. Look at verse 19. I skipped over this. Look what Jesus does. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. To sit down is literally the word recline. 
You know where that word comes in? Recline at table. That's the language uh, of the New Testament, right? They are to sit down and prepare to be served. If he was just trying to stuff their bellies, he'd get them in line, right, and just rotate them through. No, but he he calls them to, to sit down. Then he takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. He distributes the meal. When we put these pieces together, what do we see a picture of? We see a picture of a host. This is exactly the role of a host in a Jewish home. This is what the host does. Breaks the bread after blessing it, distributes it, ensures at the end of the meal that everyone is satisfied. Go back to that question, who is Jesus? He's king, he's Messiah, he's host. He is the head of a new family. He is the host of a new feast. And it doesn't meet in the palaces. You know where the people of God meet for this feast? In lonely places. Not in the high positions of power, but out in the desolate wilderness where nobody else would want to be. In light of this, I think the, the, the leftovers in the meal have a whole new meaning. They, they take those, what do you think they do with those leftovers? The text doesn't tell, so maybe we're speculating. I think they take them home. They take them around to the villages. Y'all, look what just happened. We started with this, and, and look at all of these leftovers we have. Sometimes my wife goes out to dinner with family or friend without me, and she, she comes back, and she brings some leftovers back for me. I love it. And she tells me about the meal and the, the company, and I'm not listening, right? I'm just devouring the leftovers, right? So much better than my chicken nuggets or whatever I had for dinner. I think maybe that's a glimpse of these guys going out. They got their 12 baskets. You know what else 12 stands for in the Bible? The 12 tribes of Israel. There is bread left over for all of the people of God. As far as the curse is found, God provides the meal and the bread and the banquet and the feast for the rest of God's people. Not only do the insufficient followers feed everybody, they pick up the baskets. I think this is symbolic. They take it out to the world. They're going to take those leftovers with them because there there is enough. We are not called to be the host of the banquet of God. No, we are the unworthy and insufficient guests. But we are called to take the baskets of his grace out to a sin-starved world, out to a hungry world to feed on all that God provides. You see, we come here, and I said at the beginning of the service, right? we have God's word in everything we do. Right? We have a prayer meeting. We read and pray God's word. We sing God's word out of our Psalter. Right? We have morning and evening worship. We have Sunday school. We have podcasts about the word of God so that you would feast and know the riches and the grace and the glory of God, and you would then go as his insufficient followers and spread that feast to a needy world around you. You see, the feast is all sufficient. We don't fully eat from it quite yet. We have parts and and tastes and foretastes, just as this dinner by the Sea of Galilee looked back, it also looks forward. It looks forward to another feast to come, another banquet to come. You see, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah famously prophesied in Isaiah 25. He said, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples 
a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Ever since Isaiah said those words, the people of God have been waiting for that feast, been waiting for death to be swallowed up. We've been waiting for the dead who have died in Christ to rise again and sit with him at his banquet table. The expectation of this messianic banquet is only wedded even more in this meal at the Sea of Galilee. Looking forward to when the all-sufficient Savior lays forth the all-sufficient feast. Jesus told us just a couple chapters ago, he said, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. It's not just ethnic Israel. It is people from east and west. It is the 12 tribes dispersed through the world that God is calling to himself. The book of Revelation calls this the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are looking forward to when insufficient men and women like us come to that all-sufficient feast that is laid by our all-sufficient Savior. Dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, come in faith today and feast on the king's table that you may be satisfied and you have grace left over, grace to share, knowing that one day you will feast with him in glory at his everlasting table. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, we are indeed a hungry and needy people. We understand that we have so little to offer, that what we offer is woefully insufficient, that when it comes to our own salvation, all that we offer is the, the very sin that makes it necessary. And so what can we say today but thanks and praise that you would call us, that you would feed us, that you would give these promises of this feast forevermore, and you would give us the gift of faith to come and lay hold of those promises to be nourished today and always on your word. I pray, O oh God, that you would create in us such an overwhelming sense of being satisfied with you that we would take those baskets of grace to the needy world around us. O oh God, we thank you that you are the all-sufficient Savior in whom we trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn, uh, hymn 524. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, hymn 524. Just stand with me as we close. <laughs>